0: morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. And for those joining us online, hey, listen, Coming up, um, our next big series we're doing is called You Asked For It. Here's what we're doing. We've been doing this. We've been asking you to submit questions about the Bible, about life, about anything um, to this number here. You can text it. You can call it. um, Because what I'm doing is coming through, and I'm going to be answering for four weeks some of the biggest questions that people have that are Christians and those that are non-Christians. And what we want to do is answer the questions that you have. So if you have a question, if you've ever had a question, right, like, was Methuselah really 969 years old? Whatever your, your question is, submit that in, text that or call that. We would love to have information from you. We're shutting that down soon because um, I've got to get the content ready for that series. But we'd love for you uh, to do that for the series called You Asked For. Well, if you've just joined us today. Uh, we're in a series in the book of Acts. If you've not just joined us, you've been with us for 14 weeks. We've journeyed through the book of Acts. We still have several more weeks in it as we're looking at this unstoppable movement that you and I are a part of called Christianity and how it began. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 19, verse 11 this morning. Acts 19, verse 11. Uh, well, studying World War II is really interesting. There's a documentary that came out, and I'm, I love I love history. I love um, kind of looking at documentaries. I find that truth is stranger than fiction many times. And we looked at World War II. America entered World War II late. And when America entered it though, here's what they brought to the table. It wasn't just more troops. They brought advanced weaponry to be able to match the Germans whenever they were entering the war. Matter of fact, they had an advanced version of the Sherman tank. They brought in radar technology gas mask, and even something called the atomic bomb, right, which was uh, really, really big. So um, (laughs) some of y'all got that. But what they did was they made sure they had the right weapons for the enemy that they were facing in that war. And I want to submit to you today as we look at Acts 19, that many times we're not bringing the right weapons to the enemy that we face in life. We have a spiritual enemy. His name's Satan. He has demonic forces. And I believe that so many believers never even think about that. They never think about the influence that these forces may have on our life or think about how that even disrupts the world that we're in. And I want to show you today in the book of Acts how that was true for Paul and true in his day, and it's true for us. Now, before we jump into Acts 19, again, we've established every week about the book of Acts. You say, man, I've heard about Luke and Acts every week. Good. Now now maybe you can teach someone. That's why I tell you over and over again, you're the greatest teacher is repetition, right? And so Luke was a doctor who, again, researched and wrote his gospel, the gospel of Luke, to his friend Theophilus. But Luke, being the detailed researcher that he is, didn't stop at the gospel of Luke. He wrote something called the Book of Acts, which we're looking at. And that's the 30-year history of the early church when it first started. And he had this unique perspective of interviewing and finding things out from the first 15 chapters. But after that, Luke then joins Paul's team and he's in it all. Like today when we look at Acts 19, Luke was there. What else that you can resonate with is this, that he was a non-Jew. He's the only non-Jewish writer that we know of in the New Testament. And so if you're skeptical of Christianity or you're not sure about the Bible and you think it was just a book of fairy tales, I want you to realize that what Luke did was he wrote to a friend that may have been skeptical too about history and facts of what was seen and what was experienced. Now, here's what happened. Jesus' um, resurrection from the dead. We celebrated that Easter Sunday. We all celebrated, had a great time. But then Jesus doesn't just go to heaven. Many people think he resurrected and went to heaven. He spent 40 days on earth, appearing at different times to his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the main thrust of the book of Acts, of, and how we even have a church today, 2,000 years later, is because he gives them this command. He says, go to the upper room and pray. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when he does, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, they were Jews, that was cool, Jerusalem was easy. Judea, well that's our cousins, that's kind of Jews too, that's really easy. Samaria, we don't like Samaritans. Matter of fact, we hate them and they hate us. It's a little tough. Then he says, you'll go to the outermost parts of the earth. They thought, that's just a suggestion, that can't be a commandment because God doesn't want to save non-Jews. Surely non-Jews can't be Christians too. And so what we see is is that, yes, Christianity rapidly exploded in Jerusalem. The Lord moved powerfully and saved 3,000 on the first day, the day of Pentecost, and Christianity just rapidly grew, but they stayed in Jerusalem. So persecution came, and it came through a guy named Saul. Saul came and began to uh, murder Christians and put them in jail. And one day, while on the way to persecute more Christians, Jesus shows up in his path, blinds him, knocks him off his donkey, and Saul gets saved. And then Saul goes, and for 14 years, he goes and he studies the Old Testament, which was the Torah. He was a Jewish leading priest, and he found out all about Jesus and how Jesus was the Messiah. And when God released Saul back into ministry, he changed his name. You know why? Because if they heard that Saul was coming to do Bible study, they'd like, yeah, I've heard that joke before. Yeah, he's coming to kill us. No, 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 this is Paul now. He's different. And so Paul is given this unique and incredible ministry to non-Jews. That was his ministry. The most Jewish of them all was given a ministry to non-Jews. And so then he goes on missionary journeys spreading to the outermost parts, Asia Minor and Europe. Now in Acts 19, he is in his third missionary journey. Things are starting to wind down. We'll now go to his descent to Rome because Paul ultimately wants to go to Rome to appeal to Caesar because he wants to share the gospel with the top leaders in all of Rome hoping that they will hear and respond to the gospel. And in Acts 19, on his third missionary journey, he goes to a place called Ephesus. Now, before we jump into Ephesus, I want you to understand some things about Ephesus. It was a military city. It was a port where a lot of melting pot, a lot of people from different places came because the sea routes were how everything got through, and they're in Ephesus. But Ephesus also, there's something very unique about it, you've got to understand, is that the whole city worshiped this goddess named Artemis, or if you're a Greek, Diana. The whole city. So, like, you walk in, it's like, you know, if you go to a major city, let's say, like, New York. Everybody's wearing New York Yankees hats or San Francisco. They have, you know, the Golden State Warriors or San Francisco Giants or the 49 Like, they all had Artemis hats, Artemis t-shirts. Like, everybody did something. They made trinkets about Artemis, t-shirts about Artemis. They had Artemis restaurants with pancakes that look like Artemis. (laughs) The whole city worshipped. It was very highly spiritually charged in a pagan, demonic way. They worshipped a false goddess that was a demon. And when Paul went in there, God is going to use him and grace him to reach the people of Ephesus with power. Last week, we saw he had a different uh, approach. He, when he went to the Athenians in Mars Hill, they were all philosophers who were all about knowledge. Now Paul comes in and God graces him to reach them in a different way. And I want you to look at what God does in Ephesus, which is a powerful, powerful work. It says in Acts nineteen eleven, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. I love this here. One of the most comical things, but also powerful things in the book of Acts. It says, They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, (laughs) come out. Now, they're not believers, they don't follow Jesus, but they saw that these Christians had power in the name, in the name of Jesus. Well, hey, we should, use, we should bring that into our mix, right? Let's try to use that. Let's, and watch what happens here. Seven sons of Sceva, he was a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, that means that person that, that was demonically possessed replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? The man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence they fled from the house naked and battered. Seven men got their tails whipped by one guy possessed by, by a demonic spirit because they're going around trying to, trying to use the name of Jesus, trying to use the name of Jesus, but they weren't Christians. And look at this, verse 17: the story of what happened spread quickly through all Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the man—excuse me—the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. This is, this is what revival is, confessing their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at, at a public bonfire. The ba- value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. I want you to realize this, that what we see here is a few things. As I said last week, Paul was in um, Athens, at Mars Hill. He understood the philosophy of the day. He understood, he even quoted their own philosophers back to him. He connected with them, as Pastor Brian told us last week. He didn't condemn them. He knew how to speak their language. And in Athens, he spoke to their heads, with truth, with knowledge. But in Ephesus, it was God's power that had to be shown. Because there's a whole different group of people. Before I move forward, I do want to say this, because this is not my message, but when it comes to sharing your faith with people, if you have a one-size-fits-all approach, it's not going to work, because every person is different, and that's what God graced Paul with. God said, I'm going to grace you when you go to Athens to speak to them with knowledge, to break things down from their own language, but when you go to Ephesus, that place is demonically wicked, and I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the power to perform unusual miracles. Now, this didn't happen everywhere Paul went with, that, with the hand- handkerchiefs and aprons. That was just there. Why? Because the people of Ephesus needed that. It was sorcery. It was witchcraft. And that whole place was full of that. And one thing you have to realize that's so important, and this is what I want you to gain from what we see in Acts chapter 19 is this, that the unseen world has a big effect on the seen world. I'll say it one more time. The unseen world has a big effect on the seen world. We're only used to our five senses, right? The things we can touch and taste and smell and feel, all that. Like We're used to that. But we have to realize there is a spiritual world that is full of demonic forces. There's a spiritual world out there that we cannot see that is just as real as the world we can see. And it has influence in our lives. It has influence on this world. And what I want to show you today is how do you engage in that? And how do you make sure you're not overcome by that? How do you pray effectively? How do you engage that world? Because if you're a believer and you don't learn to engage that world, you will be swallowed up. You will find your life ineffective. You'll see cycles of brokenness in your life over and over again. You won't see the victory that God has for you. And what Paul knew was this. He knew that the unseen world was very important and very powerful. See, if you're thinking of it like this, it's like, you know, the the unseen world and and the seen world is like an iceberg. Now iceberg, you only see about 5 to 10 percent of the iceberg and underneath is 90 percent. It's a little tip up here then underneath. What you see in the seen world is 5 to 10 percent. What you don't see is the 90 percent underneath the surface. That's the spiritual world. That's angels and that's demons and that's all the things we can't see that's influencing and that's working behind the scenes. I'm not here to be weird or freak you out, but you do need to know that. And that's something that is true about Scripture, that that we're seeing that. And I want you to understand how to navigate the unseen world. To understand that in your life there's influences. To understand that, that when we let sin into our life, that that's given access to the enemy into our life. To understand that, I mean, if you're you're a believer and maybe if you're a little more mature or you you can almost like sense when you go to certain places the darkness of that place. You can walk in places and just sense like, man, there's something different about this place. And can I tell you the places where sin is most rampant, that's where demonic forces and powers have the most effect. And so many times I think that, that we don't understand that there's this unseen world influencing us. If you've never read the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters is a, very, is a fictional book. But what C.S. Lewis does is this. He has, there's a demon who is writing to his uncle who's another demon. And they're having conversations about how do they seduce and how do they trick and how do they, how do they really work in this believer's life. And they go over and over again talking about the things that they can do slightly and seductively to to bring that believer into bondage. And we have to understand that in our life, the same thing is happening. We don't know all the details of it. We're not given a, a roadmap for it, but we do understand this, that there's a spiritual enemy. And here's what we have to know about that. Fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons will give us the wrong outcome. Fighting the wrong enemy with the wrong weapons will give us the wrong outcome. And that's something that we have to understand because when you have a spiritual enemy, you've got to fight with spiritual weapons. When you have a spiritual enemy, you've got to engage spiritually. And many of us only live above the surface. We see everything at the surface. I told our staff at the beginning of the year this. I said, there's two questions you've got to answer in your life. And all the time, I should be able to walk up to you at any point in time, I tell our staff, ask, what is the Lord specifically doing in your heart and your life? What is he correcting? What is he encouraging you in? Because if God never corrects you, I can't trust you because he loves those he disciplines, right? He loves those, those he corrects. So I would want to know from you, Pastor Keith, what is God correcting in your life right now? What is he comforting you in right now? And that's one question you've got to ask. But the other side is this, and this is where it really gets serious. What is Satan trying to do in your life right now? What is it that the enemy is at work in? And if you don't know, then when you look at broken relationships, when you look at cycles of addiction, when you look at when you're offended, when you're angry, when, you're, when all those emotions come in, the enemy is at work in those situations. You've got to know right now, this is what the enemy is trying to do in my life. So you've got to answer those two questions. Those are the questions that are below the surface. Because above the surface, all you see is, are the things around you, the people that you're talking to, the job that you're at. And you've got to pause and understand that there's a spiritual world underneath that matters so much. And my fear is, as your pastor, is that you're just not engaging in prayer. You're not engaging in worship. Some of you aren't aren't praying over your family. You aren't anointing your house. You aren't doing the very things you should do to to fight off the enemy. You think you're fighting with your spouse. They're not the enemy, Satan's the enemy. You're not fighting that other believer. That other believer is not the enemy, Satan's your enemy. There's a spiritual war out there that we're in that we don't even think about. And we don't usually use the right weapons. We don't know how to fight that enemy. I remember when I was in ninth grade, um, some of you may, not, may, may have went through this, but it's called hazing. Remember hazing, freshman hazing? No? Y'all didn't go through that? And this freshman initiation in high school, like they'd come and grab your underwear up and pull them and they would throw you in the bathroom and beat you up. I mean, it was real, man. I mean, like, like I'll never forget we were at football practice one day and it thundered in lightning, and we all went in. And we just had our helmets on that day. It was light practice. And literally, all the freshmen were standing together scared to death because the, all the, the, the seniors were there too, junior varsity and varsity. And literally, the lightning would flash, and we'd see everybody's face, and it would go dark, and then one of them would be snatched out, and we'd hear them screaming. <laughs> Where'd Johnny go? I don't know, man. Right? Like, like scared to death. And my dad told me this. He said, son, he said, at some point in time, those upperclassmen will come haze you. He said, you, you have to know how to fight them. Now, listen, I am not giving advice to anybody in here. Do not take this advice. Young people, I am not giving you advice. Parents, I'm not giving you advice. My dad was not a believer at all, right? He said, here's how you got to fight that enemy, though. He says, when the group of them come up there, one of them is going to approach you first, and he's going to help you he's want to scare you. He said, what you have to do is take him out and make him cry, and the rest will run. And my dad began to show me ways to do that. He said, "If you hit him right here, or if you do this right there, he says the rest will run." So guess what happened? I I am, you know, one day after lunch, I'm up on stage because we had a stage inside of there, you know, where where our gym was at, and we had PE class afterwards and health class, and our football coach was in his office, and I didn't know that at the time. And so anyway, I'm in there and I'm getting stuff out, and yep, sure enough, all these guys come up. Another said, "All right, Bordeaux, it's your time." The first guy walked up, and y'all, I did what my dad told me. And can I tell you what happened? They all, the rest of them ran. (laughs) Ran. The one guy got up crying and screaming, we're just playing, man, we're just playing. And the next day they all came again. And they came again the next day. I said, all right, I said, who's next? I said, y'all all all better come at once because if any of y'all get, I said, and anyway, they said, no, 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 man, we're so sorry, we're just playing. And the football coach came out, he said, Bordeaux? I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. He said, come to my office, please, Mr. Bill Miller. I walked in his office, he said, son, he said, I never said this. Good job. <laughs> he said, that, that's how you handle those upperclassmen. You know, that's all he said. And, and uh, he said, you can get out of my office now. And so I went out of his office. He was the, the Ron Swanson, if you watch Sparks and Rick, of uh, football coaches, right, and did that. My dad taught me something, was how to take care of the enemies that I was fighting. And I want you to understand this, with the spiritual enemy that you have and I have, as followers of Jesus, you gotta learn to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. We are all, everything you're facing in your life, you see the, the, the 5 to 10%, but you've got to understand that you've got to fight with a, underneath the surface with the 90%. You've got to learn to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. If you keep trying to fight in the natural against things that are spiritual, you will lose every time. You'll be just like the sons of Sceva, getting your tail whooped every time you keep going into battle. You, you'll never have victory. You'll keep running the same things over and over. You have to learn to do that. As a matter of fact, what Paul did was he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. He spent over two years there. He spent more time with that church than any other church, and he wrote a letter to them. And in the letter, he writes to them. He directly attacks Artemis and Diana in that letter. As a matter of fact, in the opening chapter of the letter, he says to them, "You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, because you are seated in heavenly places with Him." Now, why would he say that? Because in Ephesus the saying was you are blessed by Artemis or Diana and he's changing their mindset and then in Ephesians 6 he begins to talk about spiritual things and spiritual warfare in a way that we never see this in any other letter why did Paul specifically write this to the church at Ephesus because they were in a spiritually charged environment and here's what he writes in Ephesians 6 6 verse 10 he says a final word very important final words important he says be strong in the lord and in his mighty power put on all of god's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil and i love this because this is this is the crux of the message don't miss this here he says for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the what? Of the unseen world. Exactly what I'm telling you today. He knew that because in Ephesus he was there. He saw that. He knew these people were engaging in that. He says, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul tells them that you are not fighting against people. You're not fighting against things. He said the 5% you think you're fighting against is not what you're fighting against. It's the 90% below the surface. And what's interesting here is that Paul uses this terminology to them about putting on God's God's armor. And if you look uh, at the uh, the remaining verses, he says, put on your shield of faith, your helmet, and your breastplate of righteousness, and all that. Do you know why he said that? Very important. Because Artemis was known for her military strength, for her bow and her arrow. That's why he said it will quench every fiery dart or arrow of the wicked. And Paul uses this militaristic language to them, to have them understand that they're in a battle, a spiritual battle. And I think so many times we don't realize we're in a spiritual battle. And therefore, we get to make, make bad decisions with things. We have to understand at every moment, yes, what is the Lord say and doing? But we have to understand, what is Satan trying to do? See, he says this. He says, be aware of the strategies of the devil. Now, we know in Scripture it says that the Lord has plans for us, right? Do you know what the opposite of plans are, though? It's strategies. See, God has plans for you, but Satan has counter strategies for God's plan for your life. And so he wants to implement them. And he does that into our life. And if we don't realize what's happening, we're going to make big mistakes. And that's my fear. So what I want to do is show you by asking the right questions. How do you fight in this unseen world? How do you go to war with this spiritual enemy who's against you? The first thing is this, avoid friendly fire. Avoid friendly fire. What do you mean by that? Christians are known for crucifying each other. I, I, listen, I, I've never, I'm, I'll be very honest with you, I've never in my life been attacked by some person who struggles with alcohol all the time. It's people who call themselves mature Christians who are always offended, upset, angry, and they attack. They get hurt and offended and they attack. It's been deacons that I've, I've, I've had come against me when I've been doing ministry, not in this church here, but I, I have literally, it's been some of the, I've told you the battles I've had. That's friendly fire, y'all, the same team. We are literally on team Jesus. Stop fighting each other. Like, amen? Like, they're not your enemy. And we have to realize that. That, yeah, you're going to get into to situations where you are, um, have conflict. But I told my son, we were playing one of these little fighting games one time. He kept shooting all his friends. I was like, dude, that's friendly fire. So I watch Friendly Fire. I said, you're shooting your own friends. Don't do that. They're on your team. And what we see is this. Satan doesn't have to destroy the church. The church will destroy itself. And here's why, because we're not asking the right question. Am I fighting the right enemy? When you are at odds with your spouse or your child or a friend or a family member, understand they are not your enemy. and if the, if the enemy of our souls, Satan can, can get us tricked thinking they're the enemy, fight them we'll never fight him. because many of us spend all of our time fighting the wrong enemy in life. We're fighting against some group, we're fighting against this, we're fighting against that, not understanding that there's a spiritual enemy that we've got to fight against. So ask the question, am I fighting the right enemy? So some, some of you right now came into church and you're at odds with your spouse. There's some serious stuff going on. Do you know what's happening? You're fighting the wrong enemy. You're not fighting Satan. You should be fighting Satan together, not fighting each other while Satan watches and eggs you on. Am I fighting the right enemy? The second point is this. Fight for resolution, don't fight to win. If you wanna engage in this and see God's power come to pass in this unseen world, Fight for resolution, don't fight to win. See, Jesus Christ came to reconcile us to God, make us right with God. But that's not the only reconciliation he came for. He came to reconcile us to each other. And that's what we usually forget. And I love the way one guy put it, he said, If you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. And too many of us are fighting to be right we're fighting to make a point, we're not fighting for the relationship. And anytime you're at odds with someone, if you truly love that person and truly care, you're gonna fight for that relationship. You're gonna say, I wanna get through this no matter what it takes. I know we're at odds, I know we disagree, I know we're on separate ends of the table, but man, can we just sit down and talk? And we may never agree on something, but we can savor the relationship and save the relationship together. That, that's what we want to do. Fight for the resolution. Don't fight to win. You can Listen, you can be right or you can have healthy relationships. You can't always have both. If you're always fighting to be right in every place in your life and prove other people wrong, you will never have healthy relationships. Um, one of the things that, that I've noticed with people, and this is, um, and you may notice this about yourself, those who don't have close friends, very close friends, not including your spouse, can't count them. They're usually people who always fight to be right. They don't fight for relationships. Because the moment they have a disagreement, they cut someone off and they're on something else. And they never have anybody surrounding them. Fight for the resolution, guys. Don't just fight to win. And here's what you have to ask with this. The question you have to ask when it comes to that is this here. Am I fighting for the relationship or am I fighting to make a point? Because Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I pray that they may be one even as you and I are one, Father. Jesus not only wanted a oneness with us and the Father that he would create through his death, burial, and resurrection, but he also wanted a oneness with his people. And so you gotta ask that question there. Am I fighting to make a point, or am I actually fighting for the relationship? And that's what you have to fight for. Don't fight just to prove yourself right and prove the other person wrong. But fight for the relationship and finally here's the last thing you have to understand is this fight your spiritual enemy with spiritual weapons Paul went into Ephesus fighting a spiritual enemy with spiritual weapons he went into Athens fighting the spiritual enemy with natural weapons sometimes you do need natural things Can I tell you counseling does work thank God for professionals right I know for years it's been stigmatized. I love getting counseling. It helps. You have trauma. And some of you are making everybody around you pay for something somebody did to you years ago. It's not fair to them, it's not fair to you. You get help. But can I say this? What we usually don't think about is though, we're not fighting in the spiritual side either. We're not going to the Lord in prayer. We don't have an atmosphere of worship in our homes. I mean, we're, we're not teaching and discipling our children about how to pray and how to go to war. We have got to go to war, Guys, I walk, this, I walk this sanctuary and I touch every chair you're sitting in and I pray for you. I pray for your families. I pray against the addictions you're facing that nobody knows about. I pray against the depression you're going through, the physical ailments you're facing. I come here and I pray And I ask for the presence of the Lord to be evident in this place when you come in, for him to meet you where you're at. I pray that his anointing would be here. Why? Because I want to make sure that the Lord is working spiritually. I rebuke the enemy from this church, that when you walk in, there's like a TSA security checkpoint. Ain't nothing dark coming through these doors, right? Praying that God would send his angels in this place to minister to you as you worship. Like, that's spiritual warfare. And I think some of us need to be reminded today that we're not, we're not fighting that. We're not fighting a spiritual enemy with spiritual weapons. You know, my, my, my grandmother taught me this, and she would tell me, she would say, son, every time you drive down that road, we, we had something called Clifton Lane. My grandparents were Clifton's. She said, every time I saw that little white Honda Prelude, she said, I would get on my hands and knees, and I would plead the blood of Jesus over you to protect you. She said, I, I, I knew you were going out to sin and drink and do drugs. And she said, Lord, please protect them. Lord, please convict him of his sin. May the conviction of the Holy Spirit fall. May may it make him sad and angry the more he does this stuff. And you know what happened eventually, guys? That did happen. And I gave my life to Christ for that. I'll never forget the time when she told me that that, that, that the Lord woke her up and told her to pray for my brother. She didn't know what had happened. You know what happened? My brother had an aneurysm at 37 years old. He was laying there, and the doctor said he's not gonna make it through the night. He had this aneurysm, and he's sitting there, and my grandmother begins to pray and pray and pray. She got her knees praying in the Holy Ghost and just praying. And she gets a call about 10 minutes later. Is my mom, she called her mom and said, Mama, you would never believe what just happened. He opened his eyes and started talking. He, he ripped the cords out of his hand. He, start, he got up, he was in his right mind. The doctor said it was an absolute miracle. She said, honey, she said, she said the Lord told me to go in prayer, she said, I, didn't, I didn't know what was happening. Because all, all she knew was, hey, just, hey, just pray for Daniel. That's all, all she got, pray for Daniel. No, nobody really knew what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. And she went to the Lord and, and, pray, and sought the Lord for that. Friends, can I tell you that our first resort should not be going to Facebook, it should be getting on our knees. The first resort is not fighting against your, your spouse, it's not fighting your kids, it's praying, it's declaring, it's using spiritual weapons for a spiritual enemy. And some of you today are in situations that are way above your pay grade. You're in over your skis, you don't know what to do, you're stressed out, you're tired, you're worn out, you have exhausted everything you know to do. Can I tell you something? You've probably not been fighting the spiritual enemy with spiritual weapons, and that's what God's asking you to do today. That some of you need to do this. Put some worship music on in your house. Listen, I, I listen to the music that's not all Christian music, okay? My son and I, we listen. To, we love 21 Pilots. That's our band together. But can I tell you a little secret? I flood my house with worship and the worship of Almighty God, and I pray, and I pray over him when he's not even there and I declare the spirit and presence of God will just dwell in our home, that he would experience God's peace, that he would hunger for God's word. Understand there's a spiritual enemy that we gotta fight with spiritual weapons. And the question that you have to ask is this, am I fighting with the right weapons? America entered the war knowing that they could stand toe to toe with the Nazis because of their weaponry, and they could take that enemy out you can know this guys no matter what you're facing with the right weaponry of prayer and of worship confessing of sin of of going to community to people here and asking them to pray for you that you can overcome whatever's happening because underneath the surface there is a strategy against you god has a plan satan has a strategy make sure you're fighting the right enemy with the right weapons amen let's pray this morning father I ask this morning that you would just flood our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, to begin to go to our knees in prayer and seek you, Lord. Declaring over our home, our lives, our minds, our finances, declaring your favor and your blessing, rebuking the enemy from our life. Help us to learn to go to war, Lord, and not just complain about everything that's happening to us. Help us stop being victims, Lord God, and become victors. Right now, Father, I pray for those. There are people in here watching online. There are people here physically. That, Lord, they are in over their skis. They don't know what to do. And, Lord, I pray that right now you would give them the courage to stand up and fight with the spiritual weapons you've given them, Lord. To put all of your armor on, Lord God, and to go to war against the spiritual enemy. Right now, Father, I pray that this will be an eye-opening message that for the rest of their life they would understand that 10% of what they see is above the surface, but there's 90%, Lord, they've got to deal with below. I ask for that. And Lord, may they learn how to fight and use the power of the name of Jesus. May they learn how to fight and use the power of the Holy Spirit in their life through prayer and through worship, Lord. God, we thank you for that. And maybe you're in here today. And this is very intriguing to you, but you know that you're not a follower of Jesus. And you wanna follow Jesus so you can go toward these spiritual realms. You can use the name of Jesus, that you can be full of power and authority under the name of Jesus. Maybe that's you. And maybe you need that today. Maybe you walked away from your faith and you said, you know, it's time to come back to faith in Christ. Or you've never given your life to Christ. There are some men in here who have not fully surrendered to Jesus that need to do that for their homes. And I just, right now, I feel there's some people in here right now that God is calling, and you know it. The day is your day of salvation. I don't know who you are in here, but pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I need Jesus. I repent of my old life. I turn away my old life, and I give my life to you today. For I believe that Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today, I surrender to him. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.